Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. I'm your host, Adam Meckler, and on this show, we interview people that have experience in the industry, and we talk a little bit about my own life and all the various different things that I've experienced as a professional musician. Today, we're going to talk, give you three tools, all right? We're going to talk about three tools for booking gigs, all right? So if you're just getting started, these are great tools for people just getting started. If you've been in the game a little while, but you're struggling to book gigs, um, I still struggle booking gigs. It's it's crazy. I've been in the game a long time and I still struggle booking gigs. Um, I'm going to give you the three tools that I use for booking gigs now, today, myself. And that's it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, please rate us five stars. Give us a little review. If you're digging the podcast, a little review really helps. Uh, and then also, if you're watching on YouTube, then hit like and hit subscribe, and that helps too. We're able to uh, monetize the YouTube content, um, which really helps us kind of keep this thing going. And we're trying to build. We're trying to grow. Just like you. That's what it's all about. I'm trying to I'm trying to help you grow your career as, as an independent musician. It's, it is not an enviable position to be in. It's tough. It's tough out there. You're going to hear from a lot of like-minded individuals on this podcast, myself included. Let's get started. So number one. The first tool for booking gigs is to enlist friends or contacts or friends of friends or anybody you know that's already in the music industry. So, you know, a lot of people have come to me asking how to book gigs, how to get started, if I could connect them to somebody that that, that I know. And that's a great place to start, right? So if you know me, you can certainly send me an email, but reach out to somebody in your scene, anybody that you know. This is how I got started. So when I first moved to Minneapolis, I actually got started booking gigs much earlier. I was booking gigs in college. I was like the go-to gig booking guy. I, I had like a 12-piece salsa band and I did all the kind of like management for the band. I, I dealt with the finances and I dealt with uh, booking the gigs. And then I had somebody else who was the music director uh, for the group. And then I played trumpet in the group. But I got started back then. And I'll tell you a little bit about that at some point. But when I got to Minneapolis, I think one of the most potent memories for me was I was going out to shows a lot and I was meeting people all the time. I wasn't playing as many gigs because I had just moved to town, but I knew it was important to be on the scene. All right. So that's kind of like sub, that's kind of like a underneath number one is to be on the scene. And that's how you meet people. And I met a bunch of people in the scene that I admired bands that I liked to, to, to listen to. And one person in particular, Zach Harris, he had a band called Atlantis Quartet and I would go see Atlantis Quartet a lot. And I ended up asking a few members of that band to be in my band. I was, I was writing a bunch of music. Uh, I had a bunch of music for quintet um, that was going to feature tenor saxophone and guitar and drums and bass. And I, was I knew that these were like-minded people because I was going to their shows and I was listening to their music and I knew that I was into similar music as them. And so that really helped kind of bridge the gap. And I would hang. I would hang late after shows and just talk to them a little bit and introduce myself, uh, tell them what I was doing. And one person in the band, Zach Harris, the guitar player, right away, he was like, hey, man, I I'd play with you. What's up? What are you doing? You know, so he was he was ready to jump on right away. And so I formed the band and then I asked those people in my band, I said, hey, where sh how do I book a gig? Where do we play? What do we do? I, I just moved to town. So I, I knew some people I'd been on the scene. I knew some venues, uh, but I didn't really know anybody yet. And nobody really trusted me as a band leader because there's a, a certain amount of trust that goes into being a band leader at, to booking gigs, booking your own groups. You build trust with venues um, that A, you're going to put on a great show and B, you're going to promote the show and bring people out to the show, which 
can be difficult at times, especially if you play music that is sort of like non-standard, non-popular, instrumental-based perhaps, which is a lot of the world that I've lived in. I've done a lot of different stuff, but a lot of the world that I've lived in has been sort of like on the instrumental side, which can be hit or miss trying to get people out to the shows. Um, but I asked Zach, I said, where should we play? And he said, hey, I know this guy, Dan, over at the Dakota Jazz Club, uh, the Dakota Club, uh, which is a, a really amazing club in Minneapolis. And my band's first gig was at the Dakota because I went there. I physically went there. And this is kind of going to bleed into uh, bleed into number two a little bit is that you really have to have something that you can give the venue once you are once you do have their ear once you do have access to the venue or the booking agent at the venue um that could be like an epk an electronic press kit that you email to the venue owner or to the uh the booking person at the venue which in some cases is the venue owner which is always weird but a lot of cases that's somebody else that's somebody who works downstairs who's always around who's maybe at the bar um which is part of why having boots on the ground is really important but when i got there i brought them i had a cd that i had recorded uh with my quintet and uh it or actually it was it was previous stuff that i brought them initially because i hadn't recorded anything with this band yet so i brought in cds that i recorded when i was in appleton going to school at lawrence university we recorded these demos and this is partly what I was saying about jumping back in time. When we were in college, we put a little recorder in the middle of the room, a little like Zoom recorder, and we all just stood. We didn't like plug anything in. You know, it was like we just stood in front of the mics and recorded a demo uh, with my wife singing and, and my buddy Evan playing guitar and myself playing trumpet. It was a little trio thing. And we brought that thing around to tons of venues and we just handed out. Um, and at that time, it's like CD players were a lot more common. People were still buying CDs. It was like 2008. 2006 2007 actually 2006 um and so you know we would bring that cd around people would put it on some venues put it on right when we were standing there and they were like oh hey this is nice i like this i want to i'll have you guys play right uh and some people would take it and say i'll let you know and then we'd have to do some follow-up but in this case i brought one of those demos something that was more instrumental that was my music i had recorded some stuff i think for a competition international trumpet guild competition is that right international trumpet the National Trumpet Competition, which is the jazz division, I was a I was a semifinalist for that during my so yeah yeah this was this was probably I recorded that probably like late time at, at Lawrence and uh, and I used that demo I brought that to the Dakota and I was like hey here's my demo and he goes who's in your band so this was the thing that he wanted to know like is there anybody that can play in your band because <laughs> he didn't know if I could play or not and it's I guess debatable of whether or not I could at that time. I said, oh, I've got, you know, I've got Zach Harris in my band. I've got Greg Schutte in my band. I've got, I've got Adam Linz in my band. And these were all kind of like staple jazz players in the Twin Cities um, at the time. And still, Greg Schutte actually tours with, with like Mickey Hart's uh, band from the Grateful Dead. Like all these musicians play with tons of amazing people. And so when you start to it's part of like getting to know people and being on the scene and like meeting people hanging out after shows like their networks become your networks right um and that's essentially what we're seeing here is that zach's network became my network uh zach was actually the one who told me to to get greg shooty to play drums he's like hey greg doesn't really play a whole lot of jazz anymore and he's an amazing player it's like you should get greg so i got greg to play drums and i was able to communicate that to the guy at the venue and he goes oh cool yeah it sounds like a good band we have this late night series where you play after the headliner you play late like 11 p.m to 1 p.m 1 a.m would you be interested in doing something like that and i was like heck yeah right so i did that 
and surrounding you know like we're talking about booking gigs and so i don't need to get too deep into like promoting your gig yet and that could probably be another episode that will definitely be another episode but you know i had to get people at the show i had to get people to the show in order to get asked to come back i had to get people to that show uh and it's late right so but i was young i had a lot of young friends um and i was meeting people in town uh, and I was always pretty active on social media, and uh, I had an email list that I had been building up for a long time. A lot of those fans were my wife's fans, Jan and Iberg fans, um, and we, we went really, really hard with Jana's band um, from about 2006 until we moved to Minneapolis. Um, and then we continued, obviously, to go hard, but we, we, stopped, we stopped touring quite as much. And I was booking all those tours as well. Um, but... Uh, he he heard the members of the band he said yes let's do it we booked us on this late night thing uh and we packed the place we got a whole bunch of people in there to see the show and that was the beginning of my relationship with the dakota and now the dude who booked me there i don't think is there anymore he was there a long time and i worked with him for a long time but now i can just call up the owner because i have a relationship with the owner of the club uh and i can say hey we have this idea to do this show. So we did this recently just before the pandemic hit. Uh, my wife and I, Jana, had, we had this idea to do like a 90s show, 90s music show with a horn section. So I would arrange a bunch of horns and then we'd have like four singers that could do different styles and a, a band with like bass, drums, keyboards, guitar. So we had like Devo D and uh, we had Rodney Ruckus on drums and we had uh, Johannes Tona on bass who tours with Corey Wong and Ryan Bynum on keyboards who's an amazing keyboard player. Um, tons of amazing uh, uh, vocalist Bri- uh, uh, Bree Turner was there. It, it was great. It was great. Lin- uh, Lindora Turner who, um, who tours with Stokely as a background vocalist. She was one of the vocalists. Uh, it's just a great, it was a great show. And Jana, of course, sang. And then we had Omar abdul Kareem and Lucia Sarmiento in the horn section. So it was me, Omar, and, and Lucia. And I had arranged all the horns. And I called them and I said, hey, we've got this idea for a show. It's called 90s Re-Up. We got this killer band. Do you want to do the show? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did that show in November during the Thanksgiving week. Now I'm a university professor at, at Michigan Tech up in the UP, so I kind of have to really plan when I do these bigger shows. Um, and we took the week during Thanksgiving, and we drove down to Minneapolis. We rehearsed with the band a couple times, and then we we put on a show and we packed the house. Right? It's like that. Th- so this we're talking ten years apart from that first gig in maybe 2008, 2009, something like that, 2009, 2008, um, to so 12, geez, 14, 12 years. This was 2020, 2019, uh, just before 2020 that we played the show, the big sold-out show at the Dakota. Uh, one of my bands, Nookie Jones, played a couple nights sold out there, and that's a band that I and the other dudes in the group really spent a lot, a lot of time building, uh, building an audience, building an audience that will pay for tickets, right? Um so number one, enlist your friends in the industry. That's how I got my first gig, and it has grown to long-standing relationships with lots of venues that I can now call on and be like, "Hey, I want to put on this show. Are you guys down? Yes, let's charge twenty-five dollars a ticket. Let's charge thirty dollars a ticket, and get everybody paid, right?" Um, uh, and that's really that's a big win. It's like if you can get to that place, that's a big win. Um, but it, but it, it took a long time. It took a long time to get there. There's a lot of grinding in between 2008 and 2022, right? And then number two, number two is you got to record a demo and you got to have some boots on the ground. So I kind of mentioned these a little bit in number one. You got to have some kind of recording. Now that's easy. When I was in 2006, it was like, what do we do? Now it's easy. It's, everybody has a home recording setup. 
Everybody can take a mixing tutorial on YouTube. It's like find, it doesn't have to sound good. That's the crazy thing. It's like, it doesn't have to sound good. The, the first demo we recorded with my wife's trio, it was horrible. I mean, like I said, we were standing around this mic just recording, just recording <laughs> with no nobody plugged in. It's like guitar was plugged into an amp. And actually, he had somebody else's guitar because he had forgot his guitar when he came up from Milwaukee. He was living in Milwaukee, came up from Milwaukee and didn't have his guitar. So it didn't even sound like Evan. This is Evan Montgomery, who's, who's now based in L.A., and a really wonderful person, wonderful guitar player. And he had a buddy, another buddy of mine, uh, this guy, Andy HD, who I went to school with. He had his guitar, which was like a metal guitar. So it didn't even sound like it was supposed to sound in terms of tone, you know? And it didn't matter. It had Jana's voice on it. It had my trumpet playing on it. It was charming, cute. The songs were good. We, we could play somewhat, you know? So whoever heard it would go, oh, yeah, that's nice. I, I do this series over the summer. You know, what we what we did was we brought that demo to places all over Door County, Wisconsin, and the Fox Valley, and we just hand out that demo. We're just going to pause there for a sec to say that this podcast is brought to you by the Gig Boss app. Jana and I created Gig Boss because we were leading our own groups, freelancing in others, touring, teaching private lessons, and doing freelance education work, all while raising our two boys. We needed a way to keep track of everything. Create a group, create an event, and start organizing the madness. Gig Boss app is free on iOS and Android. Uh, and we ended up booking tons and tons of gigs all over the Fox Valley, Green Bay, and Door County. Door County is like this tourist area in Wisconsin, um, sort of like, uh, I don't know what they call it, like the Cape Cod of the Midwest, right? And we we passed out tons of venues up there. And so we would do like a Door County tour every summer, which was literally us just living in Door County and playing weekly gigs at tons of different venues. So we had a weekly, we had two, we had a weekly gig twice a week. We would play at this place called Gordon Lodge, Wednesdays and Sunday nights. Um, and we got that gig. We, we brought the CD to the venue uh, that had that, that demo and they put it on while we were standing there, and they were like, yeah, this is nice. Do you guys want to play every Wednesday night? And we were like, whoa, yes, we totally do. Uh, and we asked for $125 a person plus food and drink, and they said, sure, which seemed outrageous to us at the time because we were just, we were like in college still, and like that was a huge amount of money uh, for a gig. And now I know it's like that's still pretty good bread, like especially for a Wednesday night. If you're in a regular gig to get food and drink, I mean, it's like pretty sweet. And then they added Sundays. Wednesdays went so well, they added Sundays. And so we started doing Sundays later. We did Wednesdays and Sundays. So out of that one silly little demo that sounded horrible, we made lots of money all summer long for like three, four different summers. We could come back any summer we wanted to play there anytime we wanted. After we stopped, like it became hard to go back to Door County and just live there every summer because my career really started to take off in Minneapolis. And janice too and so we wanted to be around we wanted to be performing and um i was playing in tons of bands and i was going on tours with young blood brass band and nookie jones and all these other groups um and so and todd clauser early on and so it just didn't make sense to go back to door county for the entire summer but now we had built these relationships up based on boots on the ground passing out a silly little demo uh, and again like this can look different today like you can be sending epks out which are electronic press kits which are essentially like a website that has like some videos of the band some press quotes um you know if you have if you, if you can gather those things you know even if it's like 
you're reaching out to like a former professor at a university where you went to music school or like somebody you know who's in the industry and just be like, hey, could you just give me like a quote that I can use? It's like those things are really helpful. And then eventually you'll get the media quotes from local, you know, local public radios and and other kind of like local publications that deal with music. And almost all of them do. Like newspapers have column writers that that deal with the scene, the music scene, uh, and so you can get savvy with that stuff. Trying to get quotes, but it'll include like a quote, video, uh, a little maybe a description of the band, um, and some contact information and things like that. Uh, and I'm sure you can find some kind of EPK press kit, um, press kit builder somewhere. Maybe I'll make one myself to be able to give out at some point, but that's a really great route and you can be emailing that to people who book shows at venues. Now, here's the problem with emailing and this is going to bleed into point number three, which is nobody responds to emails. <laughs> I mean, that's basically that's basically true. Like, nobody responds to emails um, if you're trying to book shows. It takes lots of follow-up emails. So, they'll respond eventually, most of them. And I, you know, so the number three, point number three is be persistent. Point number three is be persistent. Boots on the ground. I don't want to swoop, uh, sweep boots under the ground under the rug uh, because boots on the ground, I, I don't want to sweep boots on the ground under the rug, but you know, boots on the ground is the most important part of building your career. Hands down, not even close. Being at venues, being out at shows, seeing bands, meeting people, being on the scene, that is the number one most important part about building your career and getting people to uh, getting people to know like getting to know venues and venue owners and booking agents and other bands. You know, if you're in like a rock band or indie band, like Nookie Jones was more like a band band that like played shows with other bands. We we would have opening acts for our shows. Occasionally we would open for other people. We would do show swaps where we had a band come up from Chicago and play a show with us and then we would go down to Chicago and play a show with them that kind of thing those are great ways to connect with other bands kind of dig into other people's fan bases and maybe build some new fans of your own you know you could do all that stuff and you could start to build those relationships by being in the scene by boots on the ground and that could mean like going to jam sessions there have been great jam sessions in Minneapolis over the years there's a great one right now Tuesdays at Whitey's that my buddy Graydon Peterson leads. It's a jazz jam. Blue Nile had a great jam that was more kind of like soul, R&B, funk, jazz kind of stuff. Uh, people would come up and sing songs, do poetry. There's all kinds of different stuff that was happening there. And like amazing musicians like Roy Hargrove would show up. You know, it was like, a, it was a great hang for a long time. There are, there are other jams too that exist. I feel like there's one at the Whiskey Junction I heard about recently but I'm not sure. That's all Minneapolis. I've been to jams in Chicago recently as well. There's one at the Hungry Brain on Tuesday nights. It's led by Katie Ernst, who was a guest on this show in a previous episode. She's really awesome. So check out that episode with Katie. But yeah, you know, boots on the ground. Don't want to sweep it under the rug. Really, 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 really important. Being persistent, also really, 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 really important, especially if you're going to go the route of emailing ban uh, uh, emailing venues, emailing booking agents, which is sometimes like you don't have a choice. You have to do that. Like when I booked my quintet in 2016, went out to New York and back uh, promoting the release of my album Wander, my quintet's album Wander. And we went, you know, we did like Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, 
did we drive all the way from there to Pittsburgh? I don't remember. We did Pittsburgh, we did Boston, we did New York City. And so it was a great, you know, we got to play at the Shapeshifter Lab in, in Brooklyn, which was a great club, really great reputation. Even though there weren't tons of people there, it was it looked good. It looked good to be on tour. And I'll tell you what, that gig, that gig at the Shapeshifter Lab in Brooklyn was the absolute hardest gig to book. And I had been, you know, it's like it was 2016. I was well known in Minneapolis already. I was well known as a player, as a band leader. People knew who I was. They knew I could deliver musically and with bringing fans, selling tickets. They knew I could deliver. But New York City didn't know, and I hadn't really built anything up there yet. You know, Pittsburgh didn't know. So it was really hard to book those gigs initially. And what I did was, number one, I leaned on people that I knew in the industry. So in this case, for the for the Brooklyn contact, I leaned on my fellow trumpeter and band leader and uh, university professor, John Raymond, who's a really amazing musician. He's got a great band called Kim Folk uh, that I th- just released a new album, I believe, or about to. He's got an awesome book that I probably have here in my office. The Jazz Trumpet Routine. Let's go. Uh, I had it open. I had it open on my stand. I've been working out of it. John's great. John there. He's a great uh, trumpet player, musician, and human being. And he helped me out. He uh, gave me the contact info for the venue there. And after about 50 emails, I mean, I swear to God, it was so many emails. It was like, it was, it was, it was to the point where I was like, and I was waiting. I, I had booked this tour way in advance. I was waiting four or five days before following up, you know, five days, six days. It's like, how long do you wait? I was waiting like five days to, to do a follow-up email. And I say, hey, just want to check back in. Hey, I'm sorry to hound you. Just wanted to check back in. Hey, it's me again. I'm just looping back around on this to see if you're whatever. I really appreciate you checking out the stuff if you're interested. Like, you know, like I mentioned, my friend John, whatever. You know, it's like I did that so many times um, that it started to feel like, okay, this is too much. And then I got a response. And she's like, okay, let's book the show. So it's like, what? Uh, And it's still, you know, I still deal with that. I still deal with that with venues that I have good relationships with, venues that I have sold out shows at. Um, it's still difficult and that's not because of you. Like if you're dealing with that, it's not really because of you. It's some, some of it is stuff you could do. It's like you could become a bigger name somehow. You could build your following on, on socials. You could be out on the scene more. You could, you know, it's things you can do, but it's not your fault. If somebody's not responding to you. It's like, this is just the way it is. This is the way it is. And so it's important not to take it personally. It's important not to think that they don't like you because they didn't respond. It's like, maybe they don't know who you are. Maybe they're super busy. It's always like, maybe they're going through something that you don't know about, right? It's always the case. Even when somebody like cuts me off on the highway and flips me off, it's like, that dude's having a bad day. That dude's clearly having a bad day. It's nothing that I did. I don't think. I think I was driving pretty all right clearly this dude's having a bad day so it's like that it's like hey this this person's getting 50 emails a day or 100 emails a day from bands who want to play at that venue and that's that's pretty realistic i bet i mean i I don't actually know i've i've never been the booking agent for a venue i've booked series and stuff like that and of course i've booked tours and big shows and all kinds of stuff but but you know the (laughs) they get 25 50 100 emails a day of bands soliciting their music, trying to get into the show. Um, so if you can build a personal relationship with somebody who books at, an, at, at a venue, then 
you know, that helps because you can text them. That's what I do. I'll text. I'll just be like, hey, and then I'll still get ignored a little bit, but it's a little faster if you're like, hey, man, you know, I just want to send you an email. I just wanted to, you know, see if you had a chance to check it out. Um, no worries. Hope you're doing great. Yada, yada. It's like I always try to be kind. Being kind is really be kind, but be persistent. I think it's how I had this written down when I was thinking this through to do this podcast episode. Be kind, but be persistent, right? Or be persistent and kind. Um, I think kindness goes such a long way um, in life, just in general, for, for, for building your career and trying to lift, trying to lift other people up. It's like, I've always kind of been about that. I always want to see other people succeed, other people on my instrument. I have a competitive edge too, of course. Like I grew up playing sports and I have a little bit of that, like, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to do this, you know, but only in a healthy way, in a way that's like, wow, that's really cool what you're doing. I want to see if I can do that or I want to see if I can one-up that or I want to see if I can, you know what I mean? And that's maybe also a trumpet player mentality. It's like anybody that knows trumpet players knows that we've uh, got large egos. But it's sort of like you can't play the trumpet well without having a large ego. It's, it's really like you have to believe that you're the best in the world to play it well. And, and that's probably the case for any instrument. Um, I, what I always tell my students is keep your ego at the door when you go to the practice room. But when you go up on stage, you have to project confidence. You have to. Um, that'll make you feel more confident. It'll make you play better. Um, pretend. Act. Do what you have to do to feel comfortable. Um, as, as is the case with anything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And that's if you're pretending, if you're just performing on stage a lot, you just get more comfortable doing it. Be persistent. You're going to have to send follow-up email after follow-up email after follow-up email after follow-up email. You can call, leave messages. Uh, one of the guys that I book with, just his mailbox is always full. So you just call, and if you catch him, you catch him. Um, that's kind of old school. It's one of the more old school people that I, that I book shows with. But generally, I think it's better, if you can, it's better to be boots on the ground. Uh, and then at some point, it's like, this is the least fun stuff that musicians do. <laughs> right like nobody wants to book gigs all the time like nobody wants to be working on that except that that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel right it's it's a means of it's a means of being able to express yourself on stage being able to play shows right right that's the end result of all this work that is non-musical that's really important for being able to play music um this is all the stuff. This is why I do this podcast. It's like I want you guys to know like what I've dealt with and and what I've learned along the way. Um, there's a lot of important lessons in there. But to recap, number one, enlist your friends who are in the industry, who have connections. Maybe there's somebody that you've met because you've been on the scene going to shows and ask them who to contact at certain venues or what would be a good venue for what I'm doing and see what they say. Um, number two, boots on the ground, record a demo, get it in front of people, either through an EPK or through literally handing someone a physical product. Okay? And CDs, it's tough now because not everybody has a CD player. But if you have a CD, it's still good. Like, I still give them out. I still give them out. And occasionally somebody will spin it or they'll go find it on Spotify. All right? And then number three, be persistent. Be persistent and don't take it personally and be kind. Be kind, be persistent, and don't take it personally. All right? It's a slow build. It's always going to be a slow build. It's always going to be a grind. Okay? Even if you've got 
thousands of followers on Instagram. That does not mean that you're going to have a sold-out show. It's not what it means. doesn't mean that you're going to be able to book a gig. It's not what it means. It's a different thing. You can translate, and there are some people that are really good at translating those likes and follows to ticket sales, in-person uh, engagement, merch sales, things like that. Um, and that's that. That's that sweet sauce that we're looking to uncover. Like how, how, how do we translate? How do we translate this stuff we're doing online to in person, or vice versa? Uh, depending on what what you're into, you know. I t- I mentioned Katie Ernst, who runs a jam session in Chicago. She's not active on social media hardly at all, but she has a great community in Chicago where she's completely sustained, right? Which is pretty cool. So that's it for today's podcast thank you for listening once again if you are watching on youtube please hit like please hit subscribe and then also give us a rating on uh, apple podcasts a five-star rating and a review would be super awesome and helpful Um, we're trying to grow this thing and we really appreciate you uh checking it out all right good luck to you send me an email with any questions right send me a message if you know me on socials find me on instagram find me on uh find me on facebook whatever and uh, send me a message be like yo How do I do this? And I'll do my best to help. All right? That's it. Peace.